are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Would you turn your Bibles to this morning to the Gospel of Mark? Mark chapter 11, sermon text will be from verse 1 to verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, please grab the Bible from in front of you and you can find Mark chapter 11 on page 847. Let's give our attention to God's good and holy word. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So before us this morning is a well-worn story. It's the the triumphal entry or the the so-called triumphal entry. Um, And it's well-worn because it's it's preached often, often on Palm Sunday. And it's a a significant text for us as as Christians as we think about the Christian calendar. It marks off the beginning of the Passion Week. You have Palm Sunday, then you have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Resurrection, Easter Sunday. And so as a a preacher, I always find stories like these tricky to handle. Years of continual use where where deep ruts into into passages like these. Just like a a well-worn path through the bush. And so the the years of continual foot traffic embed a a path into the train. And and sometimes as we think about these, these ruts, these ruts are extremely helpful. They guide us through the train. They they provide assurance that someone has gone before us and that they've likely made it through the bush. However, at times, these ruts can be very unhelpful. Because if we blindly follow the ruts in the road before us, we might actually be taking a strange and and circuitous route through the, the, the countryside. Even more, we might be missing out on the beauty of the land before us. And so this is the tension before us as we pick up the triumphal entry. We've heard it so many times. 
On the one hand, we don't want to disregard the well-worn path. There's wisdom in following the well-worn path. People have traveled the well-worn path. But at the same time, we don't want to unthinkingly pass through the text too quickly. We don't want to be enslaved to our preconceived notions about the text and what the text might mean for us because we don't want to miss out on the beauty of the text and how it might be speaking to us. And so we have a tension to navigate. And as we try to navigate this tension, we're going to break up our time into, into three sections. First, we, we just need to hear the story that Mark is telling us. And to that end, we're just going to slowly walk through the text, trying to pay close attention to what's going on, taking in all of the details and and thinking about them. Second, we're going to focus in on an oddity in the storyline. Something strange happens in this story, something unexpected. And third, we're we're going to focus in on that oddity and apply it to ourselves and to our understanding of Jesus. So we need to hear the story of the so-called triumphal entry. So when we leave Mark chapter 10 for chapter 11, we, we, we find the cry of one man replaced with the cry of a whole crowd of people. So in chapter 10, we, we heard the cry of blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting there on the roadside, and he was crying out to Jesus incessantly saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But now in Mark chapter 11, we hear a great crowd crying out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so we see as we move from Mark chapter 10 to Mark chapter 11 that the news about Jesus is spreading and increasing. No longer is just one man embracing and proclaiming the long-promised son of David, but now it seems that a whole crowd, a whole host of people are doing the very same thing. And so the news about Jesus is spreading, it's multiplying, and it's spreading and multiplying due to one reason. The Lord Jesus Christ wants this news to spread about himself. Just think about Mark chapter 10. There's blind Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do with blind Bartimaeus? Well, Jesus doesn't rebuke him or silence him or push him away. Rather, he rewards him for his confession. And Jesus says to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And here are the crowds gathering around Jesus. And Jesus is making himself known. He's going to make an impression upon the crowds. And this is what Jesus does next. So Jesus is in the suburbs of Jerusalem, and he, he gives his two disciples explicit destructions. He says, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So what happens next? Well, the two disciples go off on their special mission, and they find things just as Jesus spoke. They enter into the place where Jesus pointed them, and and there is the colt tied at the door out on the street. Even more, there is a a group of people loitering around the colt and, and ask the disciples what they're going to do with the animal, why they're taking it. And there the two disciples speak the words of of Jesus. The Lord has need of it. And there they acquire the animal that Jesus desired, and they bring the animal back to Jesus, and then Jesus mounts the animal. Mark says this in verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And so we've been in Mark for a while, 
And we, we get to know Mark by being in Mark for so long. And, and as readers of Mark's gospel, we're used to a fast-paced narrative. Mark never drones on with superfluous details. However, in our text, Mark takes precious time to develop this story in a certain way. Here's Jesus. He, he gives his disciples explicit instructions. Do this, do this, say this, and accomplish this. And then what happens next? Well, Mark takes precious time to report how the disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They did this, they said this, and they accomplished this. We have to ask, well, what's so important about these details that would cause Mark to to drill them into us with such repetition that he would would keep them in front of us? We can say, well, the, the significance of these details does not lie in the fact that Jesus has finally upgraded his mode of transportation. Jesus is moving up in the world. He's no longer walking, but now he can ride. Nor does Mark want us to to speculate about the condition of our Lord's feet, whether they were sore or not from all the walking around Galilee. Rather, what Mark is doing this morning is it's like he's got the remote control and he hits the slow motion button so that we wouldn't miss out on these these symbolic actions of Jesus. By repeating these, these instructions and their accomplishments, Mark hits the slow motion button. He's calling to us. He's saying, look very closely at these details. Look very closely at what Jesus is doing here because you need to understand it. And so we want to understand what Mark is saying. And Jesus' actions here only make sense when we read them in conjunction with a prophet from the Old Testament. So we can go back to the Old Testament, pick up the, the book called Zechariah, and look at chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, And we hear this prophecy. Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So we can think about this a bit. Going back to Mark chapter 10, if the healing of blind bar may stir up the crowds, just think about if you were among the crowds and you watch Jesus heal a blind man. That would stir you up a bit. But this act in Mark chapter 11, these instructions and their accomplishment electrifies the crowd. Jesus takes up the script of Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 through 10 and begins to act out the script before their very eyes. Jesus mounts himself on the colt, signaling to the crowd unambiguously that he indeed is the long-promised king of Israel and that he indeed has his sight set upon Jerusalem and that he indeed is going to bring in this great day of salvation and peace. And the significance of Jesus' actions are not lost upon the crowd. They're not stupid. Jesus has played his part of the script. He's mounted on the colt. He's disclosed his identity what we find is that the crowd has a, a part to play as well. What do they do? Well, they form an eager, ent- an eager entourage worthy of a king. And in great deference to Jesus sitting on the colt, many in the crowd begin to strip off their outer garments and, and lay them before Jesus so that the hooves of the colt wouldn't touch the ground. And others grab, grab things that they cut from the field, branches cut from the field, and lay them before Jesus. And the symbolic actions of Jesus, they they resonate with the crowds. 
And the people begin singing. Some go before Jesus, some follow behind. They, they encircle Jesus with these chants and these songs. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. As we've seen, just as Jesus is acting out the script of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, he's the king mounted on the colt. The crowds are also acting out of a script as well. The, the loud chants that literally encircle Jesus as he's traveling along, riding on this colt, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, come from a popular festive song. So each year, Israel would gather for great festivals. And when they gathered for great festivals, especially the Passover festival, the people of Israel would regularly sing through a collection of songs. They're called the Halal Psalms, ranging from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And these songs were important for Israel because they did two things. First, they, they reminded Israel of their history. In these songs, you, you remind that the Israelites are reminding themselves that, that the God that they serve is the God of the Exodus, that he came to their rescue. And second, these songs called Israel to keep trusting in the Lord, that the God of the Exodus is still their God, that he is faithful to his promises, that he loves them even more, that there's going to be another day of great salvation for them. And so here is the crowd. And their happy chants come directly from Psalm 118, the, the last halal song, verses 25 and 26. And we can ask, well, what script is the crowd acting out? What is going through the mind of the crowd as they sing out these words? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, the crowd's actions only make sense for us when we read them in light of the whole of Psalm 118. So we can go back to Psalm 118 and tell the story. And Psalm 118 tells a story about the king of Israel. And what you find in this psalm is that this king is beleaguered and he is surrounded by his enemies. The king recounts his troubles. He says, I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But in the midst of his trouble, something happens. So the, the Lord comes to him and helps him. And with the help of the Lord, this king is victorious. The king exalts. He says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the king says of his enemies, they surrounded me like bees. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. And the king says this again and again. He has this refrain, in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. And what he's saying is, I've experienced complete victory over my foes. So the king, after defeating all of his enemies, what does he do? Well, he, he does what any king would do. He returns to his home with pomp and circumstance. He, he draws near to his capital city from where he reigns. And as he draws near to the city, the gates are closed, and, and, he, and he begins to, to shout. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. He's excited. He says, throw open the gates. I'm coming in. I'm the victorious king. What do the people of the king do when they see their victorious king, the people accompanying the king as he travels towards the great city? Well, they, they sing, and they sing a specific song. It's this, the right hand of the Lord does valiantly, the, light, the right hand of the Lord exalts. And they have a chant that they say as well. They, they sing, save us, we pray, O Lord. Or we can transliterate it the way Mark does, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And what we see in our text is that the script of Psalm 118 is played out 
Here is the king of victory on his colt, and he's approaching the great city of Jerusalem. So according to the script, the crowds who are accompanying Jesus into the great city sing their hearts out and chant the welcome song prescribed by the scriptures due to a king. And so the fact is plain to us. Here is Jesus, a long-promised son of David, and all the details confirm this to us. And so far, all is according to script. Jesus plays his part, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. He's mounted on the colt, and, and the crowds play their part. They're singing the songs from Psalm 118. And even more, as we consider this scene, there's an emotional life to it. The energy is building. The cheers are getting louder. The momentum is picking up. However, this all changes when Jesus actually enters into the city of Jerusalem and when he actually enters into the temple. And Mark's words are jolting and they're unexpected. Verse 11, Mark says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Verse 11, the, the energy just stops, the cheers are gone, the momentum vanishes. If Jesus was laboring to build a following, he, he clearly screwed it up here. Just think about any politician worth his salt in our day. If he had crowds like this around him, he would not have let them go. He would have stood up and he would have rallied them with a speech. It's time to vote for me. It's time to take action for me. But Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't stand up in the temple and give a speech. He doesn't rally the crowd to himself. He doesn't take a crown upon his head and begin to rule. Rather, he goes into the temple, he looks around, and then he leaves the city with only 12 men. This is disorienting. And he entered into Jerusalem, Mark says, and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. We have to let this settle in on us. Think about the script of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. What was supposed to happen when the king entered into Jerusalem, the, the capital city? He's not supposed to look around and then just leave. No, all the war implements, the chariots, the horses, the battle bows were supposed to be destroyed. No, he's supposed to be seated upon his throne from where he will speak peace to the nations. No, he's supposed to be established as the king over the entire earth where he will rule from sea to sea, shore to shore, even to the very ends of the earth. That's what the king of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 is supposed to do. Or think about the script of Psalm 118. What was supposed to happen when the king arrived in Jerusalem? Well, he's not supposed to just look around and then leave. There's not supposed to be this eerie silence that we experience in verse 11. No, all the priests of the Lord are, are called to meet him on his arrival. Psalm 118, verse 26 says, We bless you from the house of the Lord. The priests are supposed to greet this king. No, great sacrifices of thanksgivings were, were supposed to be offered up on the king's behalf. Psalm 118, verse 27. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. No, the, the whole city of Jerusalem was supposed to explode with, with praise. They were supposed to sing Psalm 118, verse 28. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Even more, Jerusalem and all the people of God were supposed to marvel when the king came into the city. Psalm 118, verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
it is marvelous in our eyes. But none of these things happen. Jesus goes off script. The great city of Jerusalem goes off script. Jesus comes into the temple. He looks around, and then he leaves the city with 12 disciples. And if you haven't noticed by now, Mark is a really good storyteller. He is setting up the scene. He's building up all of this momentum. The chants are getting louder. He even places Old Testament texts before us, setting the scene. Zechariah chapter 9, Psalm 118. He's, he's building us up for a moment. And then what does he do? We're standing there looking around for what's next. And he, he grabs the rug and he pulls it. We're on our backs, laying, looking up at the sky, dazed and confused, asking, what is going on here? And Mark really wants us to wrestle with verse 11. He wants us to wrestle with the surprise ending. And he entered into Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. What are we supposed to do with these words? What do they mean? What do they tell us about Jesus? What do they tell us about ourselves? As we wrestle with this surprise ending, as Mark set us up to wrestle with this verse, we can draw out two applications for ourselves. And the first application is this. This surprise ending, verse 11, reinforces the mission of Jesus. So we need to go back and we need to think about the script of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And we can go back and we can ask Zechariah, well, Zechariah, did you get it wrong? Zechariah, when we, when we come to Mark chapter 11, we don't find destroyed weapons. We don't find peace to the nations. We don't find a, a universal reign to the ends of the earth from sea to sea. We don't find any of these things in Mark chapter 11. Did you get it wrong? Well, as lovers of God's word, we can say with certainty that Zechariah did not get it wrong. He did not prophesy falsely. These things will happen But Mark is making a point in verse 11. And what the point he's making is this. Not yet. It's as if he is coming to us and he's saying, Dear readers, not yet. Even more, Mark is coming to us and he is saying, Dear readers, something something else has to happen first. So we can look to the end of our Bibles and be assured that Zechariah's words are true and good and accurate. You can open up the book of Revelation and there you will find the full enthronement of King Jesus. There we are told of a new heavens and a a new earth. There we are told of a day when there will be no war or mourning or death or crying or pain. A day of complete peace. But what Mark is saying to us with the surprise ending is not yet. Even more, he is saying something else. He's saying something else has to happen before that day can arrive. So we can ask Mark, What must happen before the great day of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10? What has to happen first? And Mark tells us, the cross of Jesus has to happen first. We can ask Mark, well, well, how will God destroy all the implements of war? How will he destroy the chariots, the, the war horses, the battle bows? And Mark is telling us, all the implements of war will be destroyed through the cross of the Son. We can ask Mark, well, how will the king of Israel speak peace to the nations? And he answers us, he will do it atop from his cross. By the means of his blood, he will bring those who are are far off near. He himself will die so that the animosity and hostility will cease. 
that people will be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. As the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, speaking of Jesus, He Himself is our peace, and He's accomplished it through the cross. We can ask Mark, well, how will this king establish his rule from sea to sea, shore to shore, even to the very ends of the earth? Well, Mark says, it's going to be accomplished through the cross of the Son. Just think, go to the end of the book, Revelation chapter 5, and in chapter 5, we hear these great worship songs. The redeemed people of the Lord gather around Jesus, and they start ascribing things to Jesus, they say. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The redeemed people of God are praising Jesus. And and how and why can they praise Jesus? It's because of this fact. They sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's Jesus' kingship and that's how he rules over the entire world. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. It is the, the slain lamb who will rule over the cosmos, sea to sea, even to the ends of the earth. Mark is making this point for us. He's setting us up in verse 11 so that we see that the cross is necessary. necessary. He's reinforcing it for us. And Mark is preaching right into our souls, if you have ears to hear this morning. And what he is saying is this. Dear reader, what, what you need the most is the crucified Son of God. He's saying, did you, did you read the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10? And you want to share in that great day, what you need is a crucified son of God. Mark is saying, dear reader, every blessing, every spiritual good, every benefit of the age to come is purchased through the cross of Christ, the death of the beloved son of God. And as we think about the the narrative Mark has given us, this is the point that Mark has made with us again and again and again. What is Mark so concerned about in this story? Well, he's pointing us to the son of man who's going to suffer and die. He's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. He points us to, to Jesus, who's going to drink the bitter cup of God's wrath. He's going to gra- gra- grab that great cup and drink it for himself. He points us to this Jesus, who's going to experience this, this terrible baptism for himself. He points us to Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Mark is asking us questions this morning. He is, he is pushing the cross on us. And he's asking in this story, what are you doing with the crucified Son of God? He's asking, are, are you clinging to him as your salvation, your only source of hope? Are you hoping in him day by day, hour by hour? Mark is asking us in this story, dear reader, what are you doing with the crucified Son of God? Is he your salvation? Is he your peace? And we find a second application in this text as well. The surprising ending reinforces the cross of Jesus for us. And it does a second thing. The surprise ending awakens us to the coming judgment of God. And so we need to think about the script of Psalm 118 again. We can ask, well, well did, the, did the writer of Psalm 118 get it wrong? 
When we come to Mark chapter 11, we don't find a, a joyful Jerusalem. We don't find happy priests, nor are there sacrifices being offered because Jesus has come into town. We don't find the whole nation of Israel worshiping and marveling at the work of God accomplished in the beloved Son of God. What do we find? We only find eerie silence. And again, as lovers of God's word, we can say that Psalm 118 didn't get it wrong. These things will happen. Even more importantly, we can say that these things are happening right now. Just think about it. Christ has made a people infinitely happy in himself. Just think about it. Jesus has made a people who eagerly present their bodies as living sacrifices. He's made a people who gladly sing of what God has done in him, who, who marvel at him. But what Mark is saying through the surprise ending is that something with these people in Jerusalem is not right. Something is completely off with these people. And he is signaling something to us. He's signaling this. The judgment of God is going to fall upon them. So throughout the narrative, Mark has been pointing us to this fact. He's been building this up for us. Just think about it. Who was it that came down from Jerusalem and started smearing Jesus. Well, it was the scribes. And they came down from Jerusalem and they said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And, and who was it that criticized Jesus' ministry in chapter 7, accusing Jesus of setting aside the, the tradition of the elders and breaking the law of God? Well, it was the, the scribes from Jerusalem. And we can ask, well, what has Jesus said to these people who come down from Jerusalem, who criticize his ministry? refuse him and his gospel and his words. Well, what we found in, in Mark's gospel is that he pronounces judgment upon these people. When the scribes smear Jesus, Jesus responds and he says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And when the scribes from Jerusalem dispute Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 7, Jesus responds by quoting Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. What we've seen in the Gospel of Mark is what we find in Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. What do we find when Jesus enters into the holy city of God, into the holy temple of God? Well, we find the same sort of treatment. We find a people not just apathetic towards Jesus. Oh, we've heard of Jesus before. We find a, a people who refuse Jesus in his gospel, and it will become clear as we move on in the gospel of Mark. These people will reject Jesus. They'll cry out, crucify, crucify him. And then they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will kill him. And so we can ask, what words will Jesus have for the great city of Jerusalem? What words will Jesus have for these people who inhabit the great city of Jerusalem, who refuse him and refuse his gospel? But what we find in the coming chapters are words of unrelenting judgment. In the coming chapters, we find Jesus enacting symbols of judgment upon the city. He curses a, a fig tree. We hear Jesus telling parables about the, the fury of God's coming wrath. And, G, and Jesus says in chapter 12, verse 9, at the end of the parable of the tenants, he, he says these startling words. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants. And give the vineyard to others. We even hear Jesus acting as the great end time judge. Handing Jerusalem over to the wrath of God. In Mark chapter 13 verse 2. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. And they look at the, the temple mount. 
and all of the great buildings. And Jesus says, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is saying to his disciples, this city is going to be handed over to the wrath of God because they've refused me. They've refused my gospel. And Mark is making a point in verse 11. Because Jerusalem refuses Jesus, refuses his gospel, judgment is coming upon this city. And again, Mark is making a point here. And he's preaching right into our our souls this morning. And the application is simple and straightforward. It's this. If if you reject Jesus, if if you refuse his invitations, if, if you dispute the goodness of the gospel, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, If you refuse to obey the the commands of the gospel, repent and believe, the fate of Jerusalem awaits you. And you can be sure of this. Mark is saying, if, if you turn aside from Jesus, there will be no one to intervene when you stand before the justice of the holy God. What Mark is saying is, if you don't close with Christ Jesus, there is no relief from God's judgment, his coming judgment. And so Mark is pressing the gospel on us again. And he's asking us, what are you doing with the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing right now with the crucified Son of God? Are you hoping in Him? Are you loving Him? Are you entrusting yourself to Him? Are, is His praises upon your lips day by day? Are you welcoming His news into your life, saying, this is the news that I desperately need? Are you obeying his commands day by day? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Do you entrust yourself to Jesus day by day? Are you turning from your sins day by day? Mark is asking us, he's setting up this scene so that we might wrestle with this. What are you doing with the crucified son of God? And the point is, as we have said so many times in the gospel of Mark, Jesus comes to us and he's preaching the gospel. He says it again. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You've heard. You've heard it again. What must you do? Well, Jesus says, it's time to repent and it's time to believe in my gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your word. We desperately need your word. It is so easy to become sleepy and dull in this world. We thank you for Mark chapter 11. We, we need the cross of Jesus reinforced in our minds and in our hearts and our souls. This is the message that we need to believe and hope in and entrust ourselves to. And Father, we need to be awakened. A day of coming judgment is near. Oh, Father, would you awaken us? Awaken us to that great day. May we operate out of it. Oh, Father, we ask, give us faith. Give us repentance. That's what we desperately need. Show us your son again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.